Good morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru, and today we're talking about kids and dogs, how it seemed like a great idea, but in practice, maybe not so much. So basically, we're going to be talking about what good interaction looks like and what bad interaction looks like to derail the possibility of a bite happening in your home. In the show notes, I'll be attaching uh, a couple of links for you guys to check out where there are some visuals to what I'll be discussing today. Uh, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. I'm just sharing some information that I learned very early in my career, and I feel like there are a couple of little posters that you guys might glean some extra information from. They could be really beneficial for you. So definitely check out the show notes. Okay, so we're going to start off by what children should not do when they're interacting with dogs. Um, The first handful of things that come to mind may seem like common sense. Um, I tell clients who have children or whose dogs have ever been, you know, nippers, anything like that, that they have to make sure that they're monitoring the interaction between the child and the dog. If you don't have eyes on the situation, the likelihood something is going to go awry is much higher because children don't have the same boundaries and understanding of consequences that we as adults have. Okay, so what does that look like? So you want to avoid bothering dogs when they're eating. This may seem very straightforward, but I've seen Over the years, many clients allow their children to kind of play in the dog's food bowl. Whether there's food present or not, this is a problem. Dogs have very few resources that they really depend on, but food is one of them. So getting your hands in their food is not a great way of sending a message that the food is safe and that they have a place where they can just go to have their meal without any sort of provocation. So think about it a little differently. Would you go into a restaurant and, you know, order a beautiful steak and you've got your mashed potatoes and you've got your appetizers and everything is laid out in front of you. And then a complete stranger comes over from another table just out of the woodwork and starts sticking their fork on your plate and confiscating your food. You would obviously be upset, probably stunned. Well, dogs feel a lot of the same way on that. I mean, they don't want anybody messing with their food. You wouldn't want somebody taking away your steak dinner. They don't want anybody messing with the the kibble or their raw food diet or whatever you're feeding. I suggest between mealtimes taking the bowl up to dissuade both dogs from being protective over their food bowls and also from children messing with them. There are plenty of dogs out there that get labeled as food aggressive when in reality the food aggression was triggered by access and essentially constant aggravation about somebody messing with their food. And it doesn't have to be a child. You know, adults I've seen create food aggression simply by always putting their food in the dog's bowl. There's a right and a wrong way to dissuade dogs from being food aggressive. And the wrong way is once they start eating, pulling food out of their bowl or messing with it, because you could create a dog that wasn't otherwise food aggressive to be really, really defensive and offensive about their food and their space, so keep that in mind. In that same vein, I always tell children to avoid taking a dog's bones or toys. Now again, this comes back to parenting in that you have to be the compass for your child and the protector and advocate for your dog because children, while they may be very well-intentioned, can easily set off a dog that wouldn't have otherwise aggressed. So make sure your child isn't picking up 
things from the floor that are the dogs, that they're not pulling the dog's bed out from underneath them, that they're not taking a bone from the dog's mouth. You know, just like kids, they don't want to share all their stuff. And the difference being that, you know, if a child feels like their objects are being threatened, they typically will take their toys and move elsewhere. But dogs don't always think of that solution. There are some that do. But generally, they're going to start guarding those items, those the things that they value, just like with the food. This goes further for places of space where they, they relax. So if your dog has a favorite spot, if they have a favorite bed, if they have a crate, kids need to steer clear of those places. You know, especially older dogs, they go to those exits, essentially, to avoid decompress, relax, and rest. So it's a bad idea to say, it's okay, little Johnny, and let them poke the dog or mess with the dog and the dog's relaxation exit space. Because sooner or later, as your child approaches, the dog's going to start growling. And it doesn't mean that the dog wanted to start that behavior. It's just really the result of feeling like they have no safe space, like they're territory is being encroached upon. I've had a lot of clients over the years mention that, you know, they didn't have any problems with the dog and then the dog just snapped. It came out of nowhere. But I can tell you as a behaviorist, that's not actually what took place. There is always a before the after. Um, You know, there's always a precursor to a bite. Now, if you keyed into those things, then you'll probably start thinking back to, okay, what did that look like? And if you weren't around, then you're equally culpable because your dog basically had to reason the situation out themselves and they have teeth. You'll see the the largest incidence of bites that with dogs that hadn't previously been growlers or biters usually around the time the child is more active, you know, toddling around, uh, able to get at things that they couldn't reach before. You know, when you have a baby in your arms, it's a lot less likely that the dog is going to be aggressive towards a baby because it's right now no physical threat. You know, even a toddler kind of falling over on the dog can be really traumatic and difficult for a dog to deal with. And it can cause them to feel really, really defensive and have a negative reaction down the line. So that's something to keep in mind. You want to tell your children to avoid grabbing tails, ears, paws, because while these are things that may not seem like a big deal to you, the dog's person is much like yours. You're not going to let someone pull your hair or hang on your clothes. And so for a dog, it's very straightforward. It's the same sort of logic. Think about what you wouldn't like, because in all likelihood, they're not going to like it either. You don't want your children to trample the dog. You don't want them to jump on the dog like a trampoline. Um, And you don't want them to climb on the dog. Because this is something that I see a lot of toddlers and young children attempt. And dogs... They, they don't want that. <laughs> they don't want to be bothered with a child who's interfering with their bodies. So, you know, if you have a larger dog, especially I've seen plenty of children try and climb aboard, that's a bad thing. And you need to tell your child that they need to avoid that behavior. And again, monitor. Never leave a dog and a child alone. Because even if the dog has no history of aggression or snapping or growling 
it really is a series of events that can lead up to that. So you are the one who's going to be able to derail it before it really materializes and becomes a problem because you can stop your child, because you can get the dog an evacuation route. You know, you really need to think it through. And by not monitoring them, you're opening up a door to injury, reactivity, and a really negative response protocol from your dog because they learn by event and they learn through repetition. So if every time you walk out of the room, little Johnny is pulling on his tail or jumping on the dog bed, the dog is really going to sooner or later, even if they're a pliable, relaxed, general personality type, they're going to be less flexible given enough incidents of that. I really think it's important to impress upon children that when the dog is sleeping, not to bother them. Uh, a lot of dogs in their sleep are like us. You know, we don't want to be disturbed during our sleep and we can end up snapping at somebody. Um, or if you think about like a war veteran, I mean, this is just an analogy, but if you think about a war veteran, they have a lot going on when they're sleeping and being approached physically can set them off. They could end up reacting to the person who's waking them. So with that in mind, tell your kids when the dog is sleeping, leave them alone, let them relax. And when, and if the dog wants to approach them, they will, when they're waking, avoid face-to-face -face contact. So we do this a lot, especially, I mean, adults and children alike will kind of get in a dog's face and like rub on them or that's really threatening to a dog. I mean, their sensibilities, they don't do that to each other unless there's some sort of confrontation that's developing. Um, so do not allow your children to get face to face with the dog because they could be missing half their face by the end of that conversation, depending on how dominant your dog is, depending on how flexible they are. It's an avoidable matter. You just need to be aware of what's going on and you need to set boundaries because your dog has already learned social protocol as a puppy. Another thing to avoid, and this may not seem normal, but it's actually really a huge trigger for dogs, especially older dogs, uh, avoid hugging because most dogs don't enjoy being hugged. It's a threat on their space. It, to them, it amounts to someone forcing them physically. Now, your dog may not mind you hugging them, but you don't know if how tight your child is hugging them is too much for your dog. And you certainly don't want to offer an opportunity for a negative response. And hugging can do that. So I always tell ch children, just avoid hugging the dog. You know, it's, it's better to calmly talk to them, use an inside voice, don't be yelling at them. And keep in mind, children learn through example. So if they see you yelling at the dog, sooner or later, they're going to be yelling at the dog too. So you need to stop your behaviors and model that for your children as well. Also, if you're out on a walk, um, I know lots of parents are okay with children approaching dogs, but I really would dissuade them from doing that. I, I would really recommend you not do that because while there are friendly dogs, there are also dogs that don't like kids running up to them. And there are dogs that don't wanna be bothered by strangers. It's better to avoid what could be a confrontation altogether. So while a neighbor may say, oh, he's nice, he's fine. It's like I said before, there's always a series of events that leads up to an injury and it is never random. So while an owner may have never run into that series of events before, that doesn't mean there's not a first time. It doesn't mean that it can't happen. 
And another thing that's not widely known is if a dog is a service animal, which interfering with a dog that's a service animal while it's tasking or in general is against the law. And it's also a huge risk to their handlers, the people that they're there to support. And I'm not talking about emotional support animals. That's not actually a service dog. I'm talking about psychiatric service dogs. I'm talking about medical alert dogs. I'm talking about dogs that task to help owners with you know, social situations or physical stability, guide dogs. I mean, there is a litany of services that dogs can perform and they are not required to be jacketed. They are not required to have any sort of identification. And I'll tell you what, as a handler and as a service dog trainer, I have learned. Nobody wants anybody interfering with that dog because it can derail training, because it can create anxiety where there wasn't, because it can revoke their public access if they fail behaviors. And they sometimes get washed because of interference from outside stimuli. Typically, it's when people approach them and try messing with their dogs, children alike, But service dogs are medical equipment, okay? They're not just a general dog. They're not just a well-trained dog. They really serve a purpose. So if you interfere with that purpose or you allow your children to interfere with that purpose, you're opening yourself up, A, to a lawsuit, B, to someone losing the support that they actually need in a public arena and environment, And furthermore, it's just bad courtesy. I mean, you don't want to interrupt what someone needs to survive because your child wants to go say hi. That's not the way to handle it. So that rule stands for children, teenagers, adults, old people. You won't necessarily know if a dog is actively tasking because it may not be marked physically with outside warnings like leashes that say don't approach or you know they might not have a jacket they can but they don't they're not required by law to have them so what my point in saying all of this is you don't know what the dog's job is when they're there and if you ever find a dog in an environment where dogs aren't generally allowed and it's a legitimate service animal it is not okay to ask them if you can pet their dog it is not okay to approach a dog and you never want to make the assumption that the dog isn't going to be defensive of its owner because I've seen the best trained service dogs and when their owner feels threatened, they key into that and they can have a negative response, which then leads to the owner having to wash the dog entirely. This leads to my next uh, important note, which is you need to teach your children what good body language looks like in a dog. And I'm going to, like I said in the show notes, attach a couple of pictures for you guys to see along with the website. Um, Sophia Yin really goes in excellent detail of what this should look like. And like I said earlier, it is kind of common sense, but sometimes having visuals can really drive it home. I, I used to hand out these pieces to clients and tell them to put it on their fridge so that the entire family had a visual structure to go by and then they could reinforce that throughout their daily lives. Okay, so now what can kids actually do with dogs? What is appropriate? Well, play is one of them. Not where your child is chasing the dog, but where the dog is chasing a ball. Another thing I always recommended, especially when I was working with families, which I did almost 90% of our clientele were families. Um, Not always aggression cases, but a lot of the time that was the case. 
but I always set a really solid foundation. And I used to tell parents, you know, have your dogs interact with your children on an intellectual level, you know, asking them to practice established cues, asking them to try training some tricks with them. As long as you're supervising, that can be an excellent interaction. It also builds a rapport between the dog and the child. If your child's old enough, you know, letting them walk the dog with you present is a great idea. This way, if somebody's strange dog approaches from a distance, you can always take the leash and get the dog out of a bad situation that perhaps your child couldn't anticipate really materializing. Another great skill that dogs tend to love and children love to play is hide and seek because they play that with their friends, their siblings, neighbor kids. Well, they can do that with your dog, you know, because then the dog's using its natural instincts to sniff them out and find them. And it can be a really pleasurable experience for all involved. So having your child hide around the house and then call the dog's name and letting the dog approach them sends a really positive message where the dog doesn't feel like their boundaries are being invaded, but rather they feel like they're being engaged in a positive format. Make sure when they are in any way handling your dog or around them that the associations your dog is making in regards to your child are positive associations. You can do this by whenever the children are around feeding the dog treats, um, praising the dog when they're not being reactive, when they're in a good mood and the child is present. These are really good standards of training to have because association to a dog can be negative and it can be positive. And if you lean in the direction of positive on a regular basis, they're going to really enjoy being around your children. You can also have your children offer treats to the dog, but don't play the keep away game. When they're giving the treat, the dog needs to receive the treat and that needs to be the end of it. So this way there is a positive association being made between your child and your dog. And also there's an understood relationship. I mean, kids are kids. For a dog to be tolerant of your child, you have to be monitoring, but you also want the dog to have a really good baseline of what positive interactions they can kind of bank up. You know, if every time the child comes over to them, they offer them a treat, then when your child is doing something that maybe isn't as fun for the dog, like perhaps running around the house and jumping up and down, not on the dog, because that's never going to be acceptable, but just in the dog's presence, this could be a stressor for some dogs. And to kind of derail that from becoming a problem, I always recommend treat, love the dog, treat, love the dog. <laughs> a great cue that I always practiced with, especially kids, because they love this, is teaching the dog to come when called. Now, this is a behavior that we've talked about several times on the show, and you can kind of click back through our previous um, episodes to really understand how the process works. But having the dog know its name and to come when the child calls is a great way of ensuring success when the unexpected occurs, such as, you know, your child opens the door and the dog runs out. Well, maybe you weren't present and the dog never comes to your child because they don't have a, a positive association with them. So having your child practice come when called really ups their chances of being able to get the dog to return to them. 
and keep it age appropriate. If you have a toddler, you know that they're not going, I mean, they're, they're always testing you. Why wouldn't they be testing the dog? I'm not saying that children are reckless, but I am saying they're always testing their limits and their boundaries. And so you need to be vigilant. You need to be the first line of defense for this dog because you don't want them to be labeled as child aggressive when really they were just reacting to something you yourself would have reacted to had you been put in your dog's position. I would extend these same rules and standards to your child's friends, your family members with children, so that across the board, the dog has a positive association with children, where you're promoting positive interaction that's non-invasive to the dog and really promotes that baseline where they're going to enjoy being around children and they're going to be desensitized to some of the things that kids will inevitably do that are unsavory to the dog. As far as negative body language from a dog, I want to note a few signals that children can easily see. If the dog is pinning, pinning, pinning its ears, if it's tucking its tail, if it's lowering its head, if you see a lot of licking um, or excessive panting, those can be signs of stress. And then if a dog is ever kind of standing there or lowering itself like a statue, that's always, always a sign that they're uncomfortable, that they don't want to be messed with and that they feel like they're being messed with. The parameters I've set out today are not breed or age specific. This is across the board what I would advise a client to do and avoid and have over the many, many years I've been working with families. So by installing these, you're ensuring that the dog feels safe, confident, comfortable, and that your child still has a good relationship with the dog, one that isn't tainted by fear. If you've already had a run-in between your dog and your child, it's time to look into a behaviorist, somebody like myself who specializes in behavior modification, even better if their forte is anxiety and aggression, because your dog may not be aggressive. It might be more of a defensive mechanism than your dog just trying to cause drama within your home. In fact, I can almost assure you that's the case. You know, dogs are problem solvers, and if the child becomes a problem, they're going to eventually respond to that as if they were being threatened in any other environment. But if you've already had an incident, there's no logic in letting it grow and fester and the time to address it is now, immediately. Do not wait. Make sure that you have your ducks in the row and that you're working with a trainer, and in my opinion, a behaviorist who really knows their stuff. Someone who's worked with families who can key into your family dynamic and find out where the holes in behavior and protocol could be. Because while you may feel it was random, I can promise you it was not random. The incident occurred for a reason. And a specialist in this area can help you figure out what those triggers were, what led to the bite, what led to a dog snapping at a child, and how to stop that from happening, keep everybody safe in the process, and start building a new history that's positive, that motivates the dog to be around you and the children as well as offering a safety net for them, an evacuation strategy for them, a relaxation area for them. All of those things need to be in place and the dynamics of your family will largely play into how it comes out on the other side. If you're really committed to derailing the problem and making changes both at home and in a public forum, your success rate is going to be much higher. You know, you have to be consistent just like you are with kids. Dogs need that same reinforcement, that constant 
repetition so that they have a new process in history that they can trust. If you have specific questions about anxiety, children and dogs, uh, reactivity behaviors, aggression, and you would like to talk to me about it, right now we're running a promotion for $20. You get 20 minutes with me via Zoom or Skype. I also record it so that you have it later for reference, and it's a super great opportunity for those of you who want professional advice, and perhaps you can't afford a behaviorist to come to your home right now, but you need eyes on the situation. You need ideas of what to do right now. If that's the case, go ahead and scroll through our show notes. I'll be posting a link so that you could schedule that with me directly. You'll pay via P- PayPal, so... All of that information is going to be at your fingertips. Please utilize the service if you need some guidance. And it doesn't have to be aggression or anxiety-based. It can be anything, anything training-related, from service dogs to basic obedience, um, setting up a home for a new dog. Whatever the case is, whatever you'd like help with, go ahead and click the link below to schedule a session. And you can speak with me one-on-one in the digital world and get some real direction. I want to thank everybody who's listening in, submitting questions for Coffee and Canines. Love getting your feedback and and suggestions on what content to offer next. It's truly an honor to be able to help people anywhere. If you haven't already, go ahead and join us on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash dog guru podcast. As usual, I would love it if you would rate our show. Even better if you leave a review of it so that we can know how we're doing. I always include the steps to do that. If you are a member of iTunes, that's the easiest way. And the more five-star ratings we get, the more positive feedback and exposure we'll get. So please do that. We've got some exciting guests coming up. In fact, next week, we're actually having Jane Miller, who is the executive director of Healing Companions, Inc. On the show, she wrote the book, Healing Companions, Ordinary Dogs and Their Extraordinary Power to Transform Lives. So a huge honor to have her on the show. Really looking forward to that. So please listen in and give her a really warm welcome to the show because we're very excited to have her. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste.